Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig, and today we're going to talk about all those good things, snacks and nibbles. Yeah, just and we've that. had plenty of those lately. Yeah, and we've been get, we've been getting weight by the pound. <laughs> How else is getting weight by we, the ounce, maybe? As, as we as, as we well, you'll you'll hear about all the. Snacky delights that we've been feasting on. Yeah. I and mean, we're going to start off with, I mean, I find them just irresistible. Um, the um, Effie's Homemade. Um, it's a, um, I think it's in the cracker category, but I'm not sure it's a cross between a, a cracker and a cookie. And, 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 I, and a bit a bit like a shortbread. It's such, I love, I absolutely love Effie's Homemade, and I love their owners we're going to be talking to, Irene Costello and Joan McIsaac. I'm, I'm going to admit a long-standing big bias for this next product. It's uh, Effie's Homemade, and what Effie, whatever Effie Home makes, I love. <laughs> so we've interviewed uh, Irene Costello and Joan McIsaac, many times before, but they've reached this critical point here now where I thought it was a good idea to recap how this company got started, uh, why it's named Effie's Homemade, um, and also, I mean, every year they win a prize, an award, a Sophie Award, and other awards as well, because it is a fantastic product. Let's start with um, Joan McIsaac. When did Effie's start? Um, thank you, Ann. Uh, we launched Effie's in the winter of 20, 2008 um, after um, Irene and I got together and, and decided that um, let's give a wholesale baking company a shot. Um, we took about maybe six to nine months to put a business plan together. Um, work on our branding, naming the company, um, setting up a company. We did all of that. And by the winter of 2008 is when we officially launched the product. And from the start, Irene and I discussed a number of items that we wanted to do. But my mother's oat cake recipe from Nova Scotia uh-huh. was really true to my heart and um, really to me, really exemplified, um, you know, sort of really simple, honest beginning, simple um, farmhouse food. Just it was a, a staple. And um, the oat cakes actually came from, they're from Scotland. And, and, and um, you know, the Scots settled Nova Scotia. And this recipe was passed down from generation to generation. And I think we traced it back four generations. Really? I just, yeah, yeah, and I just knew this was the um, product we wanted to launch with. Um, just loved them, it was my favorite food, and it was my favorite food because it wasn't too sweet. It was yes, lightly it sweet. Yes, me too. I'm exactly like that. I don't like too sweet. Right, yeah. right, and they were great with a cup of tea, and um, anyway, so we did that in 2008, and we started out with a limited number of stores here in the Boston area. Um due to our production capacity because we were um, sort of making it in one of these pie shops in the middle of the night, and we finally got um, to a, a larger production capacity, and that's when we really launched the product. Um, and what happened was Irene and I were 
selling the oat cakes on the phone. We would call up cheese shops and say, <laughs> you know, here we are. We got this new product. Would you try it out? And, you know, we would ship them a sample. And the follow-up response was, I love it. I want to take it in. How many in a case? Et cetera. So once we realized that we had a pretty successful product because people were responding to us going, is it a cookie? Is it a cracker? I don't know. Is it biscuit? <laughs> it's in between. Yeah. And, you know, we, we sort of took that role and said, you know, I think we have a little bit of a niche here um, where our product is, it's not quite a sweet cookie, it's not a cracker. Um, we're, we're hearing from cheese shops, they want to put cheese on it, we're like, great. You know, yeah, we suggested it's a, it's a, it. But an oatcake. I mean, that's, I mean it's, you know, it has a long history. Yes, it has a very long history. And actually, the original, um, like a Scottish oatcake, is, is much different. It is, and I don't want to say drier, but really meant to be had with, you know, very pungent cheese. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and, and whereas the oatcakes from Nova Scotia, especially um, both my mother and father's side of the family, I mean, they were, like, sweeter um, with made with a lot more lard than um, the well, you, traditional one. You had to really tweak the uh, recipe to break it into a commercial market, huh? We did. We did. We we knew we wanted to go with butter, um, and um, we just uh, are using a um, you know the Vermont Creamery has a. Um, I love them. Excuse me, Vermont. Vermont. Excuse me. I'm sorry, um, Cabot. Cabot, I love Cabot, too. We just interviewed right. them. <laughs> right. And so we knew we wanted to use a good quality butter, and that's going to make the difference. And um, the production method, that was going to be, that's that was tricky. And um, in order to find a way to produce it on a mass scale um, and maintain its integrity and have all those lovely layers in it, um, you know, we, we eventually figured that out, um, which was great. And that's... Um, how we intended to then take the rest of the line. Well, now, um, now were you both bakers? I mean, expert bakers? Um, uh, this is Joan. I, I'll just speak for myself. I came from a background in food, um, and that in, um, encompassed both the savory and the sweet end. And I'd have to say I was really more of a um, chef and savory, but at the same time, I did a lot of work in bakeries. And um, I did. I had my own catering company for a while, so you, you'd have to wear every hat and you do everything there. So that was my background. Um, Irene, you probably want to comment here because yeah. she uh, went to the culinary program that I went to as well. Uh, where That's where right. to? Irene, go ahead. yeah. Yep. Where did you go? Yep, I went to the same culinary program at Johnson University that Joan did. Um, I did not spend my whole career in food. I'm, I'm new to the industry. I actually came from the financial services. So I'm one of those corporate career changers who had a midlife crisis. <laughs> I realized I had to do something different. And so I uh, found this program at Boston University and a mutual friend of Joan and mine um, told me to, you know, reach out to Joan because she had gone through that program, and I did, and um, that was the beginning of our, our relationship and partnership. Well, it certainly so, worked so out well. Question, the quick answer to your question is, no, I don't have a professional baking background. Um, I did do a lot of baking as a kid, though, and that was my sort of 
finding my love for food and knowing I wanted to be in the food business. You started out with the single, the plane, the number one original. Is that where you started? Yes, yes. And um, Irene, if you want to take um, take the history from here. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Sure. So we began with just the oat cake, and uh, we realized that uh, we had this, yeah, we had a couple of other ideas for different products, but once we kind of fell on this production method of, of making the oat cake, uh, we decided that uh, what we would do is come out with different flavor uh, profiles uh-huh. using that same production method. So it was a very lightly sweetened biscuit, uh, flaky, crunchy, crispy, uh, and definitely buttery. And the next product was the corn cake that we came out with. Oh, they're um, good too, yes. Yeah, thank you. Um, I believe it was in 2009. The nut cake followed that, the pecan nut cake. And then we had the, the three for a few years, and um, over that period, we won our first selfie in 2010. We got the gold for the oat cake in the cookie category, and then we also won a silver for the corn cake in the cracker category. So <laughs> right there kind of proved, you know, among the experts in the industry, um, if, you know, being the judges, that we had this line that kind of, you know, straddled both the cookie and the cracker world. Mm-hmm. And then a few years went by, and we uh, we then introduced the last uh, two flavors, the cocoa, malted cocoa uh, cake and the walnut rye cake in 2014. Uh, Peter is nuts over the, um, over the uh, cocoa cake. Oh, <laughs> Well, you know, people great. kept telling us that, oh, we love your oat cakes. Would you ever put chocolate in them? <laughs> and, <laughs> and we resisted at first because we thought, does the world need another chocolate cookie? And apparently it does. I and guess we're, so. we're very popular. <laughs> right. Um, now, how do you go about agreeing on what product you're going to make or what flavor profile you're going to have next? I mean, what's the process here? Um. This is Joan. I think I'll, I'll take this one, Irene. And um, some of it, as, as Irene mentioned, we had some ideas of products that we wanted to um, launch with in the start. And many of those were from my catering company when um, we used to make our, our own crackers. And I thought we'd be creating all these different crackers that actually required different production methods. And you eventually learn that that might not be the most efficient model. So, mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, we decided we have this great, um, great, great equipment that makes our product just perfect. So let's let's go down that line. And so part of what we, we wanted to, like, say, for example, our second product was a corn cake. I used to make this lovely cornmeal cracker that I loved that was crunchy and um, had a hint of anise in it. And it was a flat cracker, and um, but we sort of tweaked that and brought that to our now corn cakes. And so I sort of just started playing with that kind of recipe um, and knowing how our equipment worked. And um, I loved the hint of anise in the background, yes, yes. Um, and, and not overpowering. It's it's just it's sort of like just a little lingering flavor that you taste every now and then. You have it with a cup of coffee. Um, but it so also gives you a lot more flexibility because you're you are subtle in your flavor profile. Right. So right. Thank yeah. you. 
So, yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. So that was important, and even sourcing the anise that we use was really important. We make sure that we get a really good, high quality anise seed that doesn't have a lot of stems and what have you in it. Because oh, no that makes a difference. That's a, a pain. This stuff. It, it does, and yeah. we we buy very high quality. So, um, and then the next flavor. Um, one thing, because I, I find that one of the points of our product, it's very homey. It's nostalgic. It, it hits sort of a core center in you, and you're, you're saying, mm, this is just perfect. It's just right. I can't describe why, but it's just right. And we felt the same way about um, graham crackers. Mm-hmm. And I remember when we started looking around, there was, I mean, I think you'll agree, there was a lot of graham crackers out there. And, mm. um, and, and we decided not to scores. go exactly in that route, but the, the hominess of a graham cracker is, is, was our direction. And, and um, we love pecans, and we started playing with wildflower honey. And um, graham crackers have um, a whole wheat flour in it, like a graham flour. And so we uh, started out in that direction and then came up with the pecan nut cakes, which uh, that's the one that won the Cracker Award this year for Sophie. That was um, that was wonderful. Um, I love it because it's very homey. And, now, um, now, what happened to the, the chocolate ones? I I had to go answer the door, so you might have already you might have already talked, <laughs> talked about, about them. About my favorite. No. that you loved it. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. No, I, uh, mi- I missed my chance. No, you didn't miss your chance at all. Not at all. Um, so the, the next two flavors, the last two, would be the uh, malted cocoa and then the walnut rye. And we looked at our line, and we had the three skews for, uh, or the three flavors for, you know, a number of years before we came out with those last two. And we thought, we really could use something on the sweeter end, and that's a little bit more, um, um, the consumer would be able to understand in the sense what it is that it has cocoa in it and malt. And then this, the other one was more savory, get more into that biscuit, that cheese. And um, the cocoa cake, um, as Irene mentioned earlier, people were always telling us to put chocolate with our biscuits, and that's a, a difficult um, when you're um, shipping in hot weather and it's oh, yeah. requires special shipping and chocolate. So and we thought there was enough of them out there, but loved the idea of a subtle good quality cocoa that um, is still not too sweet and you can actually still have a cheese with it and, and it's not too, um, oh, I don't know, it's too rich. Okay. You know, like you're... Oh, yeah, the cheeses, the cheeses yeah. today are so rich. I mean, they we had, um, uh, in Pittsburgh, we had the, uh, the Big Cheese Society annual uh, convention or conference here. And I, I mean, I... I lasted one afternoon. I couldn't. <laughs> you're covering it because the cheeses yeah. seem to be so so rich now. Right, right, and and we're so fortunate to be able to see all these artisan farmers out there making beautiful cheeses. Oh yes. Um, and I just want to comment on the last one, Ian. Um, the walnut rye. Um, I yes. definitely fashion that after um, a very traditional European. Walnut rye bread that I always love, very homey, um, and was so delicious when you toasted it. Mm-hmm. And with our biscuit and that butter in it, I'm like, that's the perfect combination. So um, that was sort of the the idea behind that one. Well, you know, um, I can't picture 
although, I mean, I've certainly spent enough time in Europe and, and realized the importance of lard, but I can't imagine your product with not having butter. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but, yeah, so butter's back. But I guess so is lard. Um, did you spend time at the uh, the show in New York? Irene Munchen. Did we spend time at the Fancy Food Show? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. We have a booth every year. Yeah. Um, and we're actually located near the American Cheese Society. Um, and the reason for that is because where we're placed in um, the specialty cheese and deli, departments of most retailers, we wanted to be close to where we knew our buyers would be congregating <laughs> and uh-huh. shopping around for product and visiting the vendors. So uh-huh. that's usually where you'll find us at that show. Yeah, I don't know where this is going to end up, this fancy food show. It's getting so big that you can't even absorb it in three days. It's, yeah, it's pretty overwhelming, isn't it? <laughs> yes. I, and and what can they think of next? I mean, were there a lot of in, insects this year? I don't know. That's what everybody says is next. Did, did you say insects? Yes. Like eating crickets? Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. but they're always, I, the stuff, some of this stuff is so far out there, I can't even believe it. Uh, the, the I didn't notice that. any crickets this year, but I have I have seen, yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll yeah. not be putting it in our product. If you so many crickets. Well, I, I just think that the two of you are, are just amazing, and... You, you've accomplished so much in, in what is really a relatively short time frame because you've become iconic in, in as you said, both cookies and crackers and in the specialty food industry. Well, I like that word. Iconic? Wow. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Ian. You're Thank welcome. You. There you go. The, only, the, only thing, the only thing you have to do is you have to come up with a name as catchy as Mary's Gone Crackers. <laughs> That is cute. That is cute. Yeah. Um, now, um, I just have one final question. Is I, I don't know how many people. I mean, we caught on to you guys like at the very start. I mean, we've been mm-hmm. doing this program since 2004. And, mm-hmm. um, but we've noticed this consolidation in the whole specialty food industry. Um, what do you, I'd like your thoughts on it. I mean, a lot of, of uh, like cheese makers or chocolatiers um, are selling out to major food conglomerations. Uh, uh-huh. Some of them get to maintain some control, but I don't know. Uh, what are your uh-huh. thoughts on that? Do you want me to take that, John? Yeah, why don't you, Irene? Yeah. Um, um, you know, I, I just coming from other industries, for me, it's sort of a natural evolution of, the specialty food, um, it's probably what, how old is the fancy food show now? About several, several decades, you know. So we had this sort of renaissance of, you know, wonderful, special, fancy food and, you know, this sort of, you know, growth of natural and organic yeah. over the past several decades that, uh, yeah, that the big, the big branded players, you know, want a piece of it. And so that's, they've been doing it. And it's not, it's not only the manufacturing, it's the, you know, retail side as, as well. I mean, look at Amazon acquiring. Oh, yeah, Whole Foods. 
Whole Foods and the merger of, you know, online with uh, brick-and-mortar stores. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of change going on in the industry right now, and uh, it's, it's a challenge. Um, we have to figure out how to play and, and, um, and be successful in different aspects of it. It's, it's not just, you know, there's no cookie-cutter approach to this business. Well, I can, um, um, I'll tell you this, ladies. Effie would be proud of you. Oh, thank you. Wow. She's looking down right now saying, Irene and Joan, (laughs) you guys are pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) And we're so glad you joined us. We're we're so glad you joined us again today and we'll again before too many years are out, I feel sure. I hope you are so sweet. Continued success, you two. Thank you. Thank you so much. And the same to you, and thank you very much. We appreciate this. Thank you. Bye-bye, Irene. Okay. Bye-bye, Jerry. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye, Ian. Bye, Peter. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, so, so, so get some of these. Oh, I love them. Get some of these. The only, the only danger you'll have is Can't you'll, stop you'll, yeah, you'll eat the whole box. <laughs> so, so let's take a break before we go on to the, to the next segment, love. Okay? Okay. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Next up, um, the wooden table baking company, came for the first time to the Fancy Food Show in New York this year. And uh, they're lots of fun. And their signature, Alfajores. <laughs> I'm not that good at that. But, but anyhow, it's a, their slogan is um, born in Argentina and made in Oakland. Uh, let's listen to Andreas Asuno. We, we certainly enjoyed this product that I, I had misconceived. I thought it was a Portuguese pastry, but it's an Argentinian pastry, and it's called an alfajores. Is that correct? Yes, they're called alfajores. Okay. And um, I love them. And, and this we're talking to Andreas Azuna, uh, and company is called Wooden Table Baking. Now, uh, Andreas, that has a reason for it. Why is it called the wooden table baking? Why don't you tell us that story and also add why you started this company, where and when, and why? Yes. So, it's called, well, I have to go back a little bit. And I started the company in 2011, and it was called Buenos Aires Alfajores. But it was very difficult for people to say those words. So um, a marketing decision was to change it for something else. And the first thing that came to my, my, you know, myself was the table that my grandmother uh, used to cook in, you know, in the house. And in Argentina. In Argentina, yes. yes. And so, and there was a wooden table that my grandma used to cook, you know, a lot of things because uh, she was a stay-home grandma. We all lived together, and she cooked for us. And so then um, I decided to change to wooden table baking because 
uh, it represents the family, it represents my grandma, it represents, you know, Argentina. And, um, yeah, that's why I changed it, and that's the name we have right now. Um, now, you're, in, you're, in, you're in California now. Yes, yeah. So I started in Oakland, California, and in 2011, like I was saying. And uh, the, uh, we started selling alfajores to uh, small coffee shops uh, here in, well, mostly in San Francisco. Uh, and then uh, slowly was growing to selling more coffee shops. And then one day I presented the product to Whole Foods and here in California. And they accepted the product and uh, we have been in Whole Foods since, uh, 2012, 2013. Well, that's, and so it's, a, it's much more mature, a much more mature company than I had assumed. You've been around for a while. Yeah, we've been mostly here in California. Now we, you know, we are in the West Coast, let's say. Uh, we grew the company, uh, after that, um, and we mostly have distribution in the West Coast, like, you know, all California, Oregon, Washington, and um, yeah, so since it slowly was growing, you know, as we were able to, you know, to move forward. So it wasn't, uh, yeah, it's still a process. Now we wanted to expand to the East Coast, so hopefully that happens, you know, in the next year. The product is excellent. I mean, it's, um, uh, it's very addictive. Uh, explain exactly what it is, the Salvo Horus. Yes, so the alfajor comes from the Arabs that they were in Spain. It was like a kind of desert. Um, and so from Spain, then they moved to South America. But in South America, it became something else. Um, it was um, a cookie made with dulce de leche. It's a sandwich cookie, uh-huh. two cookies, uh, with dulce de leche in the center. And the dulce de leche is uh, is a South American, you know. Oh um, yes, yes, yes. Bread, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very so, fond of it. They're very fond of it in Mexico too, right? Yeah, it's all the way. Like they, we, well, each country have their twist. Let's say. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. So well, you know, you when, know there is when 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 I was in graduate school, we had a a, a lot of uh, South American students. And, and in Michigan, and they would mm. cook up. And they would get this um, uh, canned, canned, yeah, canned, canned, um, condensed milk. milk, condensed milk, condensed milk. And, yeah, and yeah. They would so if, cook it in the can, on, right? And, and pan on the stove to get the the uh, uh, what's it called, dolce de leche? What's yeah, dolce de leche. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you, yeah, you do that and then you get to say that you boil the can of like, condensed milk. It's basically that. Um, yeah, so, uh, well, you know, like you said, it's very common in South America to everybody, like, you know, it's usually like, in different forms or different um, densities and different, um, you know, names, but they are all say leche. And, um, yeah, so the, then it becomes, uh, in South America, it becomes where it is today, which is, you know, to shortbread cookies with dulce de leche inside. Then, you know, some people cover with chocolate, some people put powdered sugar on top. And then, you know, if you go to, like, Peru or the north of Argentina or Chile, you know, they grow quinoa, for example, or, you know, the, the, 
the grains that grow in the zones in the areas, so then they they uh, use different flowers according to the, the areas where they, you know. They, yeah, somebody they, sent us yeah. some of this chocolate-covered quinoa. I think it was <laughs> popped yeah. quinoa. Does that yeah. sound right? Yeah, it's less expensive in Peru. You know how to, uh-huh. <laughs> or like a lot of options, you know. But yeah, uh, yeah, this, you know, we, chocolate, you know, we use chocolate, real chocolate, so, um, yeah, it's expensive, the chocolate. So, <laughs> no, the, the, um, the assortment that we got, was that like a, a sampler, a, a gift pack, or what? Right, so, yeah, we we make um, gifts. Uh, we sell online, and then we also have gift um, uh, boxes, and they have a, a sampler boxes in the. Or you can have also all the same ones, but also we have a sampler so people can taste different things. Uh, yeah, they're all. Now, yeah, we also have some ahead. of these flavors. Don't sound like they're traditional Argentinian flavors, like Snickerdoodle. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. I, you know, <laughs> I have to, well, you know, after moving here and, you know, been here in the U.S. for 21 years, you know, I learned uh, other different cuisines and other different flavors and tastes. And so then you kind of get, you get, you know, inspired to do other things. So um, then I incorporate more like well, the snickerdoodle is kind of like a like a like a churro for us, you know. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, so I, mean, I call it churro. So I call it snickerdoodle. Maybe I should have called it churro, but you know, it's basically the same thing. Um, I mean, for the cinnamon and sugar. Uh, but the you know, I make another one with chipotle and chocolate uh, that people like. You love it or hate it, you know, it's just like you have two reactions, which is kind of fun for me to play with things, uh, with, I, you know, I love the basics, um, you know, my favorite, uh, alfajor is the traditional one actually. Uh, but it's, it's fun for me to do other things and to taste other flavors and, and, you know, you know, it's, a, it's, you know, if you live here, you get inspired, so you, you know, just like your, my head goes spins with different other things that I wanted to try. The brochure you send, you have a photograph of your staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a big operation, bigger than I thought. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight people in the photo. Yeah, so we, yeah, we have interaction. Um, and then the picture was before we opened, uh, um, at that, you know, a retail store. So we have a few more uh, people working at the retail store since then. So, so you have a retail store as well as the bakery itself. Oakland, yeah, so in Oakland we have a little cafe, and then uh, so I make uh, like monthly flavors. Uh, I can tell you what's going to be the next flavor. You well, can go ahead. Uh, well, now, well, because you know, in June is Pride Month, you know, oh, here, yeah, so right. uh, so we make some rainbow ones, of course. Uh, but then the next one that I wanted to do is the, you know, Uber is like, um, it's a, like sweet potato, purple sweet potato. And, uh, it's, you know, usually Asian, like, um, Filipinos and, you know, different people make, um, uh, it's a sweet potato that is color, purple color. That's kind oh. of fun. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to make, that's the challenge for this, uh-huh. for my July challenge to make, uh, 
um, Uber alfajores. Yeah. I've been thinking about it for a while, so but you have the 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 first one knowing. Besides Italia, I will talk to her about it, but nobody knows. Yeah. Olive and you and Italia, that's it. The um, are you set up to 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 take um, orders on your website? Uh, yes, so people can order on the website. Um, usually, we have the flavor of the month uh, each month. So yes, so you can they can order the regular ones. The, you know, like uh, and then they have the the chef choice, and that's gonna be. I hope they turn out well. I haven't done it yet, but you know, I'm sure it will be okay. So and basically, the website is woodentablebaking.com. Right? Yes. And um, listeners, check it out. You see all the offerings they have. Um, make sure you, you try a variety of the Alforas. Al, al, I didn't say that right, did I? Say it again for me. Andrea. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't get that, that lilting sound you have. <laughs> I can't yeah. do it. I can't repeat it. <laughs> it's fine. Well, we certainly enjoyed it, and I'm glad we caught up with you to, to talk about it. And uh, thank you. I wish you luck and success on your big expansion. Well, thank you so much. I hope, <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, thank you. I hope to uh, keep, you know, moving toward, you know, expanding the process. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Yes, well, good luck, and, and uh, ciao. How, how do I say yeah. goodbye? Is all the same as, as goodbye as well? Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Warren still will tell you about uh, Contos foods. Um, I have a new purpose for them. Is I found that the flatbreads, which freeze up nicely and always taste fresh, uh, are great if you have big, ripe, juicy tomatoes and you don't have crusty Italian bread. Just warm up these little babies and you're good to go. Turn them up into little pieces, scatter a little olive oil. Yep. Dunk, dunk it in the garden tomatoes from, <laughs> from Peter's very own garden. Right. And, 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 you, and you'll have a fantastic treat to go with your dinner or just about anything. We're going to be talking um, about something dear to my heart, uh, Greek food, which I love. Warren Stoll is the marketing director for a company called Contos Foods based in Patterson, New Jersey. Um, and tell us what exactly Contos Foods is. Contos Foods is a family-owned and operated business that's been in business for over 30 years, probably about 32 now. It is actually the second family business that the uh, that they ran. The first was a phyllo company, making phyllo dough as well as uh, the products that one makes with phyllo, such as taropita, spanakopita, baklava. And that company was sold off to the Pillsbury Company many years ago. Oh, really? Steve, uh, yes. Uh, and actually, it was after that sale that Steve Contos, together with his father, Mr. Everpides Contos, 
uh, decided to go back into business and start making flatbreads. Uh-huh. So the company will boast that today we're primarily bakers, and we make flatbreads in over 60 different varieties. We Our flatbreads come in many different shapes and sizes, and um, with grill marks sometimes if you want to make a panini. We sell pizza crust. We sell uh, healthier uh, flatbread yeah, products. Tell, for those tell that me are looking. about that. You said that uh, Greek lifestyle, I don't know if that's what I had. I had the... Um, the oval ones with the grill marks on them for rum. Well, okay. That, uh, well, that, the grill marks too. Yeah, but was that the, one of these lower carb breads? No, the the, the lower car- we have really two lower carb items. One is a flatbread, and the other is a wrap. Because we also have a line of uh, flavored plain and uh, whole wheat wraps, uh, and also gluten free wraps. But in our flatbread line, uh, it was roughly seven years ago. We had a product that was called Smart Carb, and that was intended to be a bread product that had a lower carbohydrate content than the average bread that's out there, or in our case, the average flatbread. And what we did was, uh, I actually joined the company roughly that time, took a look at the bread, and realized that not only is the carbohydrates of that bread cut in half versus a regular flatbread, so for example, a regular 7-inch flatbread that we make has about 40 grams of carbohydrates per serving. The Greek lifestyle is 20 grams per serving. But more important even, the grams of protein in a regular flatbread are roughly 7 per 7-inch serving. And in the Greek lifestyle, it's 15. How do you so do you anything that? Well, it's, it's a special type of uh, uh, dough uh, that's made from soy flour. And it's the soy that brings you the high-protein level and it reduces okay. the carbohydrate level. All and right. what we did was we repositioned the Smart Carb product because at the time everybody understood if you put the word Greek in front of just about anything, people would buy it. Everybody wanted Greek yogurt, All right. and they were putting Greek yogurt on, on 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 cereal products. They were putting Greek yogurt in butter. They were putting Greek yogurt in just about anything you could. Um, and what we did was look at that, and we said the reason they're doing that is they're boasting about two times the protein level. Well, our bread actually delivered that too. So, like I said, we repositioned that product about seven years ago, and it jumped from whatever position it was in our portfolio to the number one selling bread that we had. It actually topped our regular white bread because people just saw the benefits and said, that's the kind of bread I want. Now, who do you actually sell to? You're mainly um, food service and, and so forth, right? Yes. Our primary business in terms of if you just look at sheer volume is food service. We are distributed by the main distributor lines that are out there throughout the country, that being Cisco U.S. Foods, as well as many of the smaller independent distributors that are more regionalized and sell products uh, here in the Northeast where I'm located, as well as all the way across and, and into California. Now, from a retail perspective, our business is much smaller, uh, but it is growing, and it's growing nicely. We have what I'll call pockets of reason, regional strength, in that here in the Northeast where we're located, I think we have probably our, our strongest retail penetration, and we're in most of the, the local accounts here, including Stop and Shop, Shop Right, which is, uh, which is um, a, a franchise chain. Yeah. Um, then there's also Wegmans, uh, and then yeah. there's uh, well, the, the former A&P slash Acme chain. Uh, so we're in all of these stores, as well as many of the independents in the area. And as you go across the country, we've got pockets of strength in the Midwest. We've got pockets of strength on the West Coast as well. 
But the primary business that we have is food service. Uh, it dwarfs what we do in retail, but again, we are growing in retail, and that is one of the areas of focus going forward. Now, if I'm thinking of the right flatbread, and the flatbread inhabits a number of places in our storage these days, but some yes, of the packages... you're, you're some, absolutely right. Some, some of the packages say they're already oiled. Am I right? That's correct. Ours are okay. as well. Go ahead. Well, no, there must be yours I'm looking at. It, it could be, but actually you've, you've, you've struck upon something that I would consider part of our primary uh, point of difference versus our competition. Um, I can't speak for which flatbreads out there uh, follow different formats, but I'd say that there's a, a good portion of them that are what we call flatbreads that are essentially stamped out of a roll of sheet dough. So you've got dough that's made, and it's rolled out to a big sheet, and then they stamp circles out of it and then bake those off. Um, those are... Those are done by some of our competition, but that's not the way we do our breads. We actually start with a dough ball that has yeast uh, in the flour, and it's put through a process where it's proofed or rises. And each one of those dough balls is not only uh, flattened by machinery, but literally held by somebody by hand and hand-stretched. Yeah, that's what the that distinguishing does, characteristic as, as, as your hands stretch all this stuff. It's volumes right. of quantum. Yeah. Well, it, it, but you think about it, that's what every pizza parlor does. If you walk into any uh, pizzeria or pizza parlor, you'll see them stretching, obviously, the pizza dough into a 12-inch shell or an 18-inch shell to make a pizza pie. But, of course, it starts out with a ball of dough that does sit overnight and gets a chance to rise. What that does is it makes for a very unique type of dough. And, of course, every shape is now unique. But it, it embeds air pockets in there. So every one of our pieces of bread that gets made into a flatbread has these pockets of air as well as oil, and that enables us to have a flatbread that's, like I said, it's unique. It retains heat better when a, a food product is put into it later on, but it also allows you to freeze it, give it a one-year shelf life, and upon thawing and reheating, it virtually comes back to the same product. Yeah, I mean, I didn't oven. understand that because it really retained its freshness, and I didn't know why. That is exactly why. Okay. All right. Now, I mean, is is this a strong market? Um, I guess the your Greek style with a low um, quantity of carbs in it is, but, I mean, you're under assault constantly for carbohydrates, all these diets. The, um, what is the um, paleo, the, the uh, Atkins, the um, keto. I mean, it's a hard sell, no? Well, it is, but, you know, across, if you look at all the food trends that are out there and look at the way people not only buy but also consume food, you'll find that most people really look at diets often and say everything in moderation. So it's not like bread has to be completely out of your diet unless it's a diet that specifically excludes carbohydrates. Uh, but, I mean, there are many diets out there that include carbs, but obviously in moderation. And that can be measured and monitored and People can eat what they want, you know, as they want it. But the, the other thing that really helps us here is the explosion of ethnic foods. I mean, as we become more of a global environment and people get to travel and see the world, the, the idea of different foods from foreign lands is, is no longer uh, just something you get to read about in a book. You actually can see it and experience and, in many cases, consume it. And that's what's benefiting us here because most people – that, you know, hear about Greek food and the benefits of the Mediterranean diet, 
they now can find many places where they can eat it. Uh, as you were mentioning before, having owned a Greek restaurant prior, uh, you know that people are looking for specific food sometimes, and that's what they want. Um, and it's just growing every day. Tell me this. I mean, Stoll does not sound like a Greek name. How come you picked <laughs> to work with a, a Greek food company? Uh, well, I, actually, that's a very good question. The, my name, yes, it's not. It's, it's primarily German and Swiss, but you don't have to be Greek to actually know how to uh, to market and sell Greek products because they sell themselves. Uh, when I joined this company about seven years ago, I came with a good 25-year history of working in marketing and sales in some very large consumer product companies and uh, like to think that I do understand the consumer, their habits and trends uh, fairly well. But Mr. Contos, Steve Contos, uh, reached out to me one day. We had a very nice conversation, and it was basically saying, listen, we're part of the ethnic food that's growing out there. How much more can we do with this? What kind of a plan would it take? And the two of us just started working on something, and it's been, I'll call it a labor of love ever since. Interesting. Uh, we, uh, um, I always joke with, with my friend who's a chef owner of a restaurant, his name, last name is Frangiatis. But I always say to him, you know, it's a different species, Greeks. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I mean, you know, to, I mean, my background really is Sicilian, so I can communicate with Greeks. <laughs> but it is a different species. Well, and, and my background being somewhat German, Swiss, and even on my maternal side, there's a lot of Eastern European so there's a lot of meats, there's a lot of potato, there's a lot of uh, dumplings, etc. But I will tell you that there's Greek restaurants that I have visited now essentially across the world, uh, oftentimes traveling with the owner. And the best uh, experiences of my life have been where you sit down in a restaurant and you don't even open up a menu. Uh, Steve Contos will open up that menu, start picking out things, or sometimes he doesn't even need a menu and he just orders various items and I've yet to taste anything that I did not like. Uh, and as a result of me, my family has been converted. I mean, one of my children recently had a milestone birthday, and their wish for going out to dinner was high-end Greek. Um, Where did and, you and, go? Uh, well, here in New Jersey, there's several restaurants that are exceptional. The one we chose that night is located in Fairlawn, New Jersey, and it's called Oceanos. Uh, the owner is uh, not only a customer of ours, but a, a good friend. And he's very much a host, and we had an exceptional time that night. Yeah, I mean, I've been to Greek restaurants in New York, but not in New Jersey. Oh, we've, we've got quite a few nice ones here. Um, Where was of, that? Of all, to, of, of all levels. There was one we used to go to a lot called Molivos. That's Greek, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think I've heard of it. <laughs> you probably have. <laughs> it's just down the street from Carnegie Hall. Yeah, Molivos. So, so you can get there if you practice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I don't think there's there's anything about But the problem is the food's so good. I, I never had a bad meal in Greece, to tell you the truth, unless I ate in a hotel. Um, but it's so good that you also gain weight, so you, can, you have to moderate, remember? <laughs> well, I've learned a trick that, you know, there are so many good-tasting fishes whole fishes and, and even just portions as yeah, well as right. Greek salads that you could really fill up on some of these things and you really don't gain weight because it really is healthy. When you do it, you know, not every food out there is the healthiest for you, And uh, but I, I have found that many of these fishes, especially when I travel with groups from, 
from my office and we're gone for several days. Uh, you, you know, when you find you eat out and you eat too much every night, but if you fill your belly with white fish and salads, um, you don't, you don't get, uh, you don't really gain too much weight, but you feel really good the next day. Yeah, I think so too. So. And you gotta have some good Greek wine to go with it. <laughs> yeah. That happens too, and, and Greek beers, yes. Oh, Greek beer? I don't know that I've ever had Greek beer. I've never had a Greek beer. Ever. Sure, it's for sure it's probably perfectly fine. We probably had in the restaurant. I never had it. I don't drink they, beer. They do in certain restaurants. In fact, some Greek restaurants will not only import Greek wine, but Greek beer and even Greek water. Um, Greek water. So, Greek water. Water that is imported from Greece. Uh, that some of these restaurants will will give you. Um, and that's what I mean when I say we. Now we don't we don't import all of those items, but. You know, we do import things like feta cheese and other types of cheeses as well as Greek yogurts and, and what have you. And that's so that when a, an authentic Greek restaurant wants to buy all of these items from one place where we can give them excellent customer service, that's what we can do. Now, in the beverage market, I've seen it, and I know some people who are distributors of these, but they will sell restaurants their wine, their beer, and even their water, yes, from Greece. I, I have a really off-the-wall question. Why would you make pita without pockets? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? It's not as off the wall as you think. The uh, In certain markets, and we get asked these questions almost every day. I am the person who responds to those that write into our website. And many people will sometimes even complain because they bought the product assuming there was a pocket. Sure. And didn't really read very clearly because it says right on our package. It, and it is a trademark phrase that we are the pocketless pita. Uh-huh. And what what one does with that, and actually here in Manhattan, you can go to just about every street cart that sells gyro or gyro and souflaki, and it will largely come with our bread. Ninety-plus percent of them are going to come with our bread. But when they fill it with the meat and the, uh, and the cucumber and the tzatziki sauce, they wrap it in foil, and then they wrap it with paper, and then they serve it to you that way. But it makes a cone. And that's how ours is eaten. The right. bread is actually wrapped around the ingredients, not filled as a pocket. Right. Well, you, you sound like you speak a little Greek, too. <laughs> a little bit of Greek. Not much, words and phrases, but uh, I'm, I'm trying. I, I do take I take lessons from some of our salespeople who are far more fluent than I because uh, languages are fun for me. Uh-huh. I'm not very good at languages, but um, I got a few Greek sentences together and because I look for being Sicilian I look Greek and and then they would be set off and talk to me for 20 minutes of Greek and I wouldn't understand a thing they were saying but at any rate Warren I'm glad we got this pulled together and Afaristo Afaristo <laughs> and ciao huh okay thank you very much thank I appreciate you. it thank you bye bye okay bye bye now and our final segment today is, is one that almost, almost baffled us. Yeah, I was very skeptical. Very of this. skeptical. <laughs> and, and, until, until they came along and, and we ate them and we gobbled them up together with our son and daughter-in-law and grandchildren. We consumed a whole lot. There's spinatos, frozen pizza with a unique crust, which is made out of broccoli. Yes, I was, we, we, I was we really said, We said you'd never believe it, so. <laughs> so here's the story from Mr. Spinato himself. 
Well, we're talking to Anthony Spinato, and uh, you have quite a dynasty, Anthony, you're going to tell us about, uh, along with uh, you got our attention by getting um, a, a great Sophie New Product Award at the uh, Summer Fancy Food Show in New York. Um, it's a family business with a long history. Why don't you just bring us up to speed on on where the company came from? It's called um, Spinato's Fine Foods, but it really comes out of of your family's restaurants, right? Yes, it, yes, it does, Ann. And, and and thank you for the the kind words. And um, yeah, I, I mean that's that's really where all this started. We we we, we got in the um, the restaurant business in 1974. So um, over the past 44 years. We've slowly added a few restaurants here and there, um, and so we're, we're sitting at about five restaurants, all family-owned, all here in, in, in Phoenix. And um, so you can say, you know, we've had probably one of the most fabulous playgrounds to have a test kitchen and, and be connected to um, consumers and consumers' wants and needs. And um, so, you know, th- this product was really born in the restaurants, and um, it was really guest-inspired. And I don't think we ever, my, my father and mother really ever had the idea that we would be in the retail or the manufacturing business. And, and, and like I said, it, it really came out of the restaurants. And, um, and I when I talk- mentioned what the product we're talking about, it's, um, I, I wasn't so sure about approaching it to tell you the truth, but it was, turned out to be very good. I was thinking. It's, it's a broccoli crust, um, gluten-free pizza. And, um, you know, we, when you look at, you know, getting into the retail market, you know, we had to look at what's what's already out there. You know, there's plenty of gluten-free pizzas. Um, cauliflower is, there's three to four different brands, you know, making a gluten-free uh, cauliflower crust. And so we didn't want to show up and, and, and be like everybody else, and we realized if we were going to get into this industry as uh, complex and, and as difficult as it is, we had to come with something that was truly innovative, mm-hmm. you know. And so what, what, what wasn't being done? And then what other benefits, how, how else can we serve our, our communities, our extended communities um, with this product? What, what's the white space and where's the opportunity? And so broccoli um, has 20, our, our broccoli crust has 25% more protein than the competitor. It's, it's much more nutritional with more vitamin A and vitamin D. And it is America's uh, favorite vegetable, and that's that's a fact. We just saw that in a, a survey. So it, it was one of those things that, you know, we knew we had to do something different. And coming out of the restaurants, you know, we we grew up in, in I mean, all we know is, is to serve and prepare, uh, you know, phenomenal award-winning food for, for people. And, and we understand the need for convenience, um, the need for nutrition. Um, you know, we're, we're living in the same challenges as everybody else's. How do you eat well? When you're busy, how do you, you know, and how do you, how can you do that at home when we just don't have a ton of time to make those home meals like my mother did when, when I was growing up? And, and that really led us into the why of why should we do this as difficult as it is, is the opportunity to really serve our communities and families and friends and give them a product that's A, it's, it's a better for you product, meaning it's broccoli, there's more nutrition, more protein, it's a clean label. Um, you know, we, we prepare all the, the ingredients fresh for the toppings. We make the sauce. We, you know, and, and, and to do something just like what we do in our restaurants and, and, and just put it in a, in a uh, box and sell it in, um, for retailers so that 
you know, folks and consumers and moms can come alongside and feel good about what they're buying, but have something to, to feed their, their families or invite some friends over and, and cook a phenomenal pizza, you know. And so that's really, you know, the, the significance of it is, you know, it, it had to be something innovative, you know, and that was the challenge. Well, that's what the judges thought for sure. Um, yeah. You know, I just had this funny idea um, is have you ever done a chickpea crust? There, there, there's, there's plenty of different uh, other crust innovations that uh, a, a lot of other uh, um, brands are looking at. I know there's, I think, chickpea and I think beets and certain things like that. Um, you know, now it's, I mean, we're looking at, you know, a grainless crust um, for one of our next innovations to go in, in with the broccoli. So, I think, you know, this is only the beginning, you know, for um, for us and, and for what's ahead. And, and there's just so many, we're finding so many ways to to give the consumer a phenomenal product, something that you want to you wanna buy again, but that's just much better for you. The, the, the thing that surprised me was how easy it was to cook. I mean, I, I, when you think of a pizzeria, you think of an oven that's really, 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 really hot. I mean, we have we have a Absolutely. friend who has a restaurant. He he has a good he has a good financial backer. So any particular toys he wants, he gets. And he uh-huh. has he has an electric furnace that he got from Sweden, which will achieve a temperature of six hundred and fifty degrees. Oh yeah. So, so so he can make pizza. Now, your home oven doesn't get anything like that temperature. So did you have to do something different? With the, with the preparation in order to be able to have something that people could realistically cook at home when it arrived? Absolutely, you know, and, and that's always the challenge, right, is, is this is this is how we do it in the pizzeria now. How, how are we going to do this for the consumers at home? And, and we're still always perfecting that process. And, you know, one of the things we're doing is, you know, with, with the fresh broccoli that goes into the crust is we're making sure it gets spun even more to get more of that moisture out. Um, the way we top and balance the ingredients, we're even looking at, you know, adding a little bit more sauce um, and a little bit less cheese to help the pizza uh, uh, bake and, and let the, 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 you know, the ingredients, the fresh ingredients and the sauce be the star. And so overtopping the pizza can, can, can really prevent uh, the, the, the home consumer from being able to enjoy the pizza the way it's designed to. And so we're just constantly continuing to make our pizza, cook our pizza, eat our pizza, and figure out, even if it's a tenth of an ounce or, a, you know, a twentieth of an ounce, is how can we manipulate this to, to get a little bit of a more crispier product? Um, and it just has to do with how long we par-bake the crust to before we, have, we, we top it. So yeah. the science of it, and I think being in the pizza industry for 44 years, we, we really we understand how to build these for our own restaurants and, um, that it, I mean, our products in our restaurants have been award-winning as well, and so it's given us a good, uh, like I said, playground or te- you know, test testing kitchen um, to to really try out these recipes and see what consumers think. Yeah, what other products does Spinato's Fine Foods produce? We 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 do have uh, three pasta sauces, and and um, while they aren't the you know, the, the broccoli is where the innovation is and, and, and what we're focused on is in building this brand around because it's so unique and it's so different and um, it's it's absolutely on trend. When you try our pasta sauce, it's the fresh tomatoes. It's it's the same 
took us 18 months to figure out how to do that on a larger scale in an 80-gallon batch versus in the pot on the stove, but it's the same tomatoes, the same ingredients. There's no instructions, uh, you know, in terms of sweat the onions for five minutes. It's sweat the onions until they look like this and they taste like this. And so we, we had to teach um, the folks that are, that are packing the, the pasta sauces how to make this, how to make these recipes so that the same, the same product you get in the restaurant, you're getting now on the shelf. But it's an extremely crowded space, um, the, the pasta sauces, but we are doing well, well um, with those as well. But we're really focused on, on the broccoli. Pizza is certainly having a moment. Yeah. I don't know how many different pizzas we've been sent. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. We got some right out of Naples. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh-huh. Which brings us back to another interesting issue, which you've obviously solved, which is the logistic of getting it out there and into consumers' hands. Right. I mean, yeah. That, that, that must have been that must have been quite an adventure, just in and of itself. It is, and and, and it still is. I, I feel like I'm, I'm living in that adventure every day. And, and distribution and logistics is is yeah, extremely challenging. And you know, what it, is it, your background besides your family owning the pizza restaurants? It, I mean, a lot of I, I started uh, college to you know for for business. And but I was also managing one of our restaurants at the time, oh, wow. and um, it got to the point where one one of them had to give, and and um, I just I, I chose our family business. I loved it. I loved the, I loved just creating food and serving people and and being around people. Um, I, I loved school too, but I, I really just had a passion for you know what I grew up in, and 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 and, and just enjoyed it. You know, uh, it felt like uh, I mean it's just exactly. Like I said, what I love to do is be around people and cook for people. So I chose that route. Um, I over, I've oversee I oversee the restaurants as well. So I've just gone, you know, started from a dishwasher in our own restaurant, worked every position, managed almost every one of our restaurants, and um, now built a phenomenal team that that really support um, that brand. Now, where where are people going to be able to logistically? Where are people going to be able to find Spinato's pizzas? Yeah, that's a great question, and thank you for asking. Um, we're, we're currently in Sprouts nationwide. I know on the East Coast we will be filling Wegmans okay. Um, okay. within the next 30 to 45 days. Um, that's a I good think, connection. <laughs> yeah. Um, Big Y, I believe, is a retailer out there. Don't, um, I don't know them, but I mean, here is, yeah, dom- we, here is dominated by a giant eagle, and everybody else pulled out of the market. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And we, we have, you know, um, Hy-Vee, which is in the, uh, the central uh, United States with uh, Meyer, as well as um, we have Safeway Albertsons. Um, we have some Kroger brands, which is Fry's, and um, some, some of the local grocery stores around here. So we're in about 1,500 retailers currently, and we'll, we're adding another 500 here in probably the next two, yeah. two to three months. And could people and, uh, order right off your website or not? We don't have that. I mean, because it's you're, you're shipping frozen, yeah. a frozen product, it, it, it's just not economical to, to even offer that at this stage because of the cost to the overnight product um, to a consumer. You you know, it just it just wouldn't work. And so that's the challenge is, is we, we have to go through distribution right now and and um, in order to get into the retailers, which which again adds another arm and, and adds more complexity, but 
it's it's the necessary way to do this. You know? well, we thank you for breaking that rule and sending five pizzas to us. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, you Cause, bet. Cause we love so, doing that. So we, we we wolfed them down like crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, good. Deal. Which one was your uh, which which well, uh, flavor was your? Well, I mean, I was, was interested, your... of course, in the broccoli because I, I I wasn't sure what I was going to get, and it was really very good. They, they, they yeah. were they were all good, and as I said, the thing that amazed me the most was that following the instructions on how to cook what shelf in the oven to put the pizza on, and how long to bake it in the oven. It all worked. I mean, I, I'm not very good at baking things in the oven, and I, I, yeah. I, I felt like a pizzaiola. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's good that you felt that way and it, and it finished that way. I mean, we, we you know, the bottom rack is, is critical for, for the, the crispiness of the crust, mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, having that pan just helps with the even cooking, and, you know, so it, it's, uh, it, it is a science, you know, and, and we want to make it easy. So that's great to hear that it, that it is, and well, we were um, very pleased, Anthony, and, and I'm glad that you're developing other products, and I wish you much success and continued success with the uh, um, the broccoli yeah, pizza. And when, and when you win a Sophie Farina Value product next year, you'll have to come back and tell us about it. <laughs> I hope so. That 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 was probably the the most amazing and, and humbling thing, um, you know, for a, a company that's you know you know going through the trenches and. And trying to to get out there to to win a, a Sophie Award, you know, like they say, it's like winning an Oscar, and um, you know, brought tears to all of our eyes, and it's that Aww. affirming, you know, just affirms that th- this really is something, and 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 the people, the experts in the industry, um, you know, confirm that, and it helps you just go through the day to day, and exactly. and again, focus on, on on knowing that you know this is okay. You know, these are all the challenges of growing a business, but we do have a product that, that um, you know, people really, really enjoy. So not only, you know, winning the Sophie Award confirms that, but I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, and your feedback regarding that because you guys are also the experts in the industry, and that, that adds a lot of value to, to, to us at this stage for sure. Here's, here's, the, cha- here's the challenge for you for next year. We'll, yeah. we'll, we, you, you, you forgot that Republicans can't possibly eat broccoli pizza. <laughs> so, so, so what you have to do is come up with a pizza that Democrats can happily eat. Gotcha, gotcha. That's funny. Oh, All man. Right. We, so we, we're going to let you go back to the drawing board. There we go. I love I love a good challenge. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for having me. I have a feeling this is not the last time on the menu we'll deal with Mr. Anthony Spinato. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be dealing with you and all the rest of the world a week from today. So join us again Sunday morning for on the menu radio and in the meantime. Bye bye.